Explaining Cookie Monster and his cravings is, is fairly simple. Talking about our cravings, our soul cravings, S-O-U-L cravings, is a little more difficult to explain. You know, we have old cravings, desires that have lived and existed for a long time. Then there's new cravings, desires that have never existed before or have begun afresh. Some cravings are harmful and if followed can trap us or plunge us into ruin, the Bible says. And then the Bible calls these, uh, these cravings, harmful cravings, that they call them uh, the lust of the flesh. Now that's, that's broader definition than we use for lust today when we just talk about sexual lust. This is talking about a lust or appetite, a longing, a desire for many things. Then on the other side of things, there are cravings that are, are good. And with these good cravings, uh, maybe some examples like a, a desire for God, a desire for his name, desire for his renown and his fame, not just our own. Those are some good desires. Then there are cravings within us that can be God-centered, but can also change and be idolatrous. There are these, these desires and these cravings that can swing back and forth. So unlike Buddhism, which tries to obliterate all desires, the Bible describes God giving the desires of the heart. The Bible describes God satisfying your desires with good things. It talks about God fulfilling the desires of those who fear him. So it's not that desires are bad or cravings or longings are all bad. There are good ones. When it comes to craving, the question seems to be, what is the source of our desire? Where does it come from? And then how can I tell if my desire is God-centered or whether it's idolatrous and, and self-centered? You see, our cravings and desires can ultimately turn our worship and determine our worship, who or what we will worship. So if you're perplexed about the true nature of cravings and desires, then you're not alone. There are many of us who are trying to sort out the confusion about the source and nature of longings, desires, and soul cravings. I introduced the whole idea of soul cravings to you uh, through the book of Acts and through Paul's message to the Athenians. And he began his sermon talking about God creator and the first man. And he began that there and then began to explain the whole gospel to the Athenians. So what I like to do is just follow his example and let us look together at soul cravings through Adam and Eve, who could really represent you and I. Only I, I get to be Adam, right? And then I want to look at how Jesus makes a difference in our soul cravings. And what I think we're going to find, the scriptures assert, is that there are two sources to our desires. Desires that come from the old nature, and then there are desires that come from the new nature birthed in us through Jesus Christ. And though we still have the need to examine all our desires, all our longings, all our cravings in the light of God's word, the good news is that in Jesus Christ, we are not enslaved to any craving because we are free in Christ. Free. And that's the good news. So I want us to go back and I want us to enter into the Garden of Eden and look at Adam and Eve. Let's start with Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And then God said, let us, and again that us referring to 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existing. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over. And he goes on and lists basically all created things. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve were both created as a reflection of God. They were like him in some ways and unlike him in other ways. See, they were unlike God because though they were created in his image, they weren't God. They were part of his creation and he was their creator. But here is how they mirrored God's nature through their roles and desires. Let's just look at some of these things. Like God, Adam and Eve had the capacity and the passion to rule over creation. Like him, they had the ability and longing to be fruitful by reproducing others who would image them. Just like God, in a sense, parented Adam and Eve. Why did he do that? He was eternally satisfied and, and, and with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He didn't have to. Like God, they loved work. They had the capacity to subdue nature, cultivate the garden, and grow an understanding of the world around them. Like their creator, they sought to sustain life. They used the resources of creation, ate from the plants, they drank from the river that flowed out of the garden. Like him, they appreciated and created, uh, created beauty and created order. Adam named and classified all the animals. He, he and Eve observed the beauty of the trees saw that it was good. And as he did, they rested from work for a time of fellowship. You remember? They walked with the Lord through the cool of the day. They fellowship with God. And like the Trinity, they had the capacity and desire to achieve oneness and unity while maintaining their diversity. They, they didn't meld and become one blob. They maintained their separate identities. They had unhindered relationship and communication because they were alike in a way that was different from the rest of creation. They were unlike the animals. They had spirits within them. Adam and Eve knew one another, but they were not sinfully self-aware. They were naked, but yet they were unashamed. And like the Trinity, they enjoyed relationship and unity with others, becoming one with them in a similar yet less intimate way. See, the, again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit had great fellowship, didn't need anybody else, but yet then they decided to have fellowship with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, in the same way, had fellowship with each other and with others. They had the ability and desire to be, with, be one with their creator through loving fellowship, joyful service, and wholehearted worship. And they enjoyed all this as long as they obeyed God's word. Now, God had positive commands. Some of us don't realize that. We just think there was one negative command. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the garden. But there was many positive commands. He said, be fruitful and mul multiply. He said, rule over creation. Subdue it. Uh, he gave them specific positive commands. So Adam and Eve reflected God to all creation, including the angels. And they rejoiced in bringing God pleasure. They were the crown of God's creation. They had been perfectly designed by God to fit in a place that he had made for them. And they loved it. They loved it. But we know that Adam and Eve's bliss ended because of disobedience, what the Bible calls sin. They did choose to disobey him in that one area on that negative command. And they chose to eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the result was sin. And sin not only brought physical and spiritual death, but it also marred 
that marred Adam and Eve's very nature, the core of them. And, and since the fall, and the fall is just the word that we use to describe that moment when sin entered the world. It was perfect once, and then it was changed. And it not only changed Adam and Eve, but it changed all creation. Since the fall, everyone's heart, including our desires, has been warped, warped out of shape. Where once there was perfection, our minds, wills, and affections have become desperately sick, a soul sickness. Our hearts ceased to be God-centered and have become self-centered. Rather than a desire to live a life reflecting God for his glory, we live for our own glory, seeking in our own reflection. Look at what happened to those perfect desires and how sin has warped them, not only for Adam and Eve, but for the generations that followed and for us today. Instead of desiring to rule over creation for God's glory, man's desire to rule has become self-focused. Men and women sinfully lorded over others, relishing power and control. We crave respect instead of craving the Lord. And we crave desiring others to think well of us rather than them to respect and crave uh, respect for God and also respecting others who reflect him. You know, in some extreme cases, we take this, uh, instead of desiring to rule over creation, instead we let creation rule over us. You ever think about some of the illegal drugs that our society uses? They come from plants, like cocaine or marijuana, and people become addicted to them, become enslaved to them. And really what's happened is, is they're letting a created thing, a plant, rule over them. They've done the total opposite of what God desired for us and the desire that he originally put in Adam and Eve. Instead of desiring to use our sexuality for God's glory and reflect unity and oneness and produce children that love God, instead we worship sex. We bow down before pleasure and power, relishing self-focused relationships. Instead of desiring to subdue nature through God-glorifying physical and intellectual work, Instead, we become workaholics, seeking joy in the respect of others and the pleasure of riches. How many times do you around and someone says, how are you doing? And the answer is, I'm busy. Why do we say that? Because maybe it's true most of the time, which is, is not necessarily a good thing. But I think sometimes there's this thing of we, we want to be seen as productive, productive people. And so I'm busy. I'm always busy. We, we crave security comfort and significance. We trust our abilities, cherishing self-reliance. Or then we swing the pendulum to the whole other side and we worship the God of sleep and laziness and we want riches without any kind of work. Instead of desiring to use the resources of creation for life and reflect reliance on God, we place consumable pleasures of creation above God. Men and women eat gluttonously a drink to excess, instead of reflecting God through stewardship of creation, which includes our bodies, we live greedily and we ravage the natural world for pleasure. Rather than desiring to enjoy the beauty of an order of creation for God's glory, we, we deify outward appearance. We, we long for others to worship our beauty and our creativity instead of God's. We make a God of anything that reflects our worth and our beauty, whether it's a home, clothing, or car, and we just lift that up, and we like to show it to everyone because we hope that it brings worth to us. 
Instead of desiring a time of restful fellowship with our Creator, we use the time away from work in any number of godless activities. Our God-given desire for peaceful communion has been corrupted by self-focus so that the rest from work is instead spent on all kinds of shallow play. And we always realize it afterwards. Afterwards, we've done something really shallow and stupid and we go, man, that was just a total waste of my time. Why? It wasn't even restful. I thought it was going to be restful, but it wasn't. We know it. We know it when we do it. Rather than desiring a oneness that reflects the oneness in the Trinity, we desire it to show our own worth. Instead of focusing on the joy of loving a spouse, we instead fight for dominance. See who's in control. We seek to be worshipped and obeyed by our spouse. We sometimes even despise the differences we see in each other and seek to change our spouse into our own image. That goes both ways, men and women. That's why I'm using the word spouse. And instead of communication being something that we use to achieve unity between one another, instead it becomes a tool to use to create dominance and to dominate over someone else or to change them into our own likeness. Instead of desiring relationship, fellowship, and unity with others to glorify God by reflecting His diversity and His unity, men and women desire friends so that they can feel good about themselves, so they can feel accepted. How many friends do you have on Facebook? I have 590. It's almost like a contest people seem to have. And and it seems like the more little acquaintances you get, then the better you feel about yourself. Is that what's happening? Finally, and most importantly, our foremost desire to glorify God and enjoy Him has been marred almost beyond recognition. Since the fall, our basic desire has been to glorify and enjoy ourselves by doing what we think will make us happy. And because of sin, we fail to see the one true source of happiness, God. It's Him. The desires, the soul cravings that were imprinted onto us by God in the beginning have been marred and damaged. And because they've been marred and damaged, we try to pursue some of these right desires in the wrong way. And we just end up worse. And no matter how hard we try to reform ourselves, it's just hopeless. We, we can't seem to do it ourselves, take out the old distorted marred cravings and try to put something in and, or try to make ourselves do something different. It's hopeless. But yet, yet there is one hope, one hope of regaining what's been lost, One way to recover holy desires that restore our relationship to God. Our only hope is to be reborn in the image of Jesus Christ, the only man who ever fulfilled his role in creation. In order to be reborn into his image, into this new image, we got to enter a new garden. We've got to enter a new garden, one with a flaming sword that has been shoved into the side of the perfect man God, Jesus Christ. And and as he hung upon another tree, another tree, and we've got to learn to eat and drink from this tree to know the truth that he can remake our minds, our affections, and our will. We must come to Christ confessing and repenting not only our sinful actions, but also our sinful desires and cravings. 
We must repent of the desire to steal God's place by making other gods out of these cravings and these desires. By the power of the Spirit, we can put to death our old cravings and seek to put on new desires, new cravings the Spirit of God supplies. It's only through faith in Christ that we, like another repentant thief a long time ago, can again access, have access to paradise. The life and death of Jesus Christ is sufficient to free you from your old nature, your old cravings, and remake you into his new image. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Do we really believe that? Is it gone? You know, I hear a lot of preachers talk about us and talk about sin and talk about us like nothing has changed, like the old nature is still there. Now, for Christ followers, that's not true any longer. The old nature has been removed and replaced with a new nature. How can Jesus do this? How did he put something new in us? How did he come into our lives like this? It's because he perfectly fulfilled God's will. Look at how Jesus' perfect desires glorified God and mirrored God's image. One, he showed his rule over creation, calming storms, walking on water, and bringing honor and respect to his Father through those things, not to himself. In becoming a man, he then re- reproduced himself in disciples, not with children, but in disciples who would fill the earth with fruit through his bride, the church. And then he depended upon his father for his bodily needs. And he met the true needs of others. Remember the bread and the fish and multiplying them for large crowds? Jesus worked so that the beauty and order in his father would be seen in and by others. And he said, let the little children come to me. And then he would heal people and make their bodies whole. Blind men that had never seen. And what happened when he did that? They glorified God. And people said, wow, God is amazing. God the Father, how did he do this? And then he worshipped him. He worshipped God on the Sabbath through prayer, fellowship, and works of mercy. And then Jesus communicated with his bride, the church, laying down his life for her. And then bestowing upon her all these amazing gifts that she might complete the building of his kingdom. Jesus was one with the Father in purpose and love by always doing things that pleased him. You see, all we need to do is trust in the perfection of Jesus Christ. Trusting in the perfection of Jesus Christ is all you need to be remade into the image of Jesus. See, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior into our lives, He gives us a new heart and puts a new spirit within us. New meaning something that has never existed before. There was something old there. And then something new that was never there. A new heart that never existed before. A new spirit that never existed before. You see, when we talk about Jesus lives in my heart, we're not just talking about a happy feeling. We're not just talking about like people do at Christmas time. Oh, yes, the spirit of Christmas is with me. And or or I'm 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 I got a happy feeling about Jesus. It's not that. No, we are really saying that there is a supernatural act that has happened and that the spirit of Jesus Christ 
is within believers who have put their trust and faith in him. It's real. And it's a change. It's a change from the old nature. You see, we're no longer controlled or enslaved by the old nature or the old cravings, but are free by the Spirit of the Lord. And because we've been given a new nature, there is something in our inner being that can now delight in God and his perfect ways. Some of you can remember before you followed Christ, before you gave your life to him, that there was nothing in you that was attracted to Jesus or attracted to the word of God, attracted to anything that was of his ways and of him. But then something happened and something changed for you when belief came and trust in Jesus came and something new was in you. So what's the source of our desires? Our desires from the beginning were God's design. It's God's design. Those original desires, though, were marred by sin so that now only a faint shadow remains. Sometimes you see those come out. You see them come out. And those are the old cravings. But the hope and the good news is that we are made new in Jesus Christ. A new nature with new cravings has been put within us. And though our old cravings still kind of linger in our flesh, our inner being, in our inner being, we are free from the control of those old cravings. We have new cravings because Jesus lives within us, putting something in us that did not exist before, something we had no power on our own to conjure up. Nate, I'd like you to come on up here. We're going to sing a song. But what I I hope that we understand, and I hope you all understand, is that it's not pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps. We can't. It never works. It never succeeds. It's about Jesus supplying you with something that you did not have before. I know there's times when maybe you've you've said, man, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, those things. Man, I I want those things, but I just don't seem to have it when when it's the moment I need it. What's going on? Is there something wrong with me? I don't have it within me. That's right. You don't. It's good. That's good you recognize that. It's because it's supplied by Jesus. It's something that you don't have, and he gives to you and supplies for you. And we call upon him to supply that for us. Again, it's not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's Jesus pulling us up and supplying us with what we need. So how do we distinguish between those old cravings and the new cravings? We've got to bring every desire, every desire, every craving, and lay it before Jesus in the blazing light of his word. And we just have to ask of that desire, of that craving, we need to ask, does this fulfill your design, God, for me? That design that that you hoped for with Adam and Eve in in the garden, could that be made new again in, in me, with you living in me? A new creation? Or maybe you could just simply ask, does Jesus Christ, does he occupy first place in this craving? Or am I making this craving my God? And you can just lay it out there before the Lord. And I really believe that he'll tell you. He'll let you know. He'll say, yeah, I've kind of moved. I've been pushed to the side. You've marginalized me made this craving your one thing when I need to be your one thing. Or he'll say, 
No. No, that craving is good. I put that there in you. Fan it into flame. And I will supply what you need. And I'll fulfill that. God is good. He loves us and he cares for us. He designed us. He knows the way we're wired. He isn't working against us, but he's working for us on our behalf. And he did that on the cross. The biggest evidence of working on our behalf. We can trust him. Lord Jesus, in this moment, I pray that that if there are things that you have made us aware, desires, longings, cravings that have gotten out of place and moved from being God-centered to being self-centered, move from being where you are worshipped to where we worship it instead. And God, I pray you make us aware. And Lord, if there are cravings in us that you have placed there that are good, Lord, I, sh- I pray that you'd show us how to fulfill those and live those out and find them satisfied only in you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name.